Recording without our usual chairs this week. Welcome to Hand Up Pod. Argentina Independent, providing English language news, cultural stuff, and current affairs, news and cultural um, uh, and current affairs, both of them, um, from Argentina and across Latin America, free of charge at argentinaindependent.com. We thank them very much for the fernet which we are drinking during this recording. Welcome everybody. If I seem particularly loud, it's because I've turned up the gain on the microphone too much this week to compensate for the fact that we're all sitting slightly further away from it than usual. Um, my living room is a tip at present because I'm moving out of it in the next couple of days and into a new one. Um, as a result of which we don't have normal chairs to sit on. So Andres, who's with us here. Hello. And Gustavo. Good evening. Are both sitting on the sofa and I'm sitting a little way away on a stool because I'm a good host. Um, we will, as ever, this week be getting stuck into the nitty-gritty of Argentine football. So let's start with um, the 15 matches that were played last weekend in the Primera División. Uh, the results were Friday evening. Saw just one match. It was between Quilmes and San Lorenzo, and it ended in a 2-1 win for San Lorenzo. Saturday brought several others. Uh, those were Nueva Chicago nil, Temperley 2 Sarmiento nil, Argentinos Juniors nil, Belgrano de Córdoba nil, Gimnasia La Plata one, Independiente one, Tigre nil, Newell's Old Boys one, Banfield one, Union one, Godoy Cruz nil. And then on Sunday we had San Martín de San Juan two, Defensa Justicia two, Aldo Cibi one, Racing Club two, River Plate two, Rosario Central nil, Estudiante de La Plata nil, Colón de Santa Fe nil. And then Sarsfield 2, Boca Juniors, nil. Yes, you heard that last one right. Um, on Monday, possibly an even more surprising result was that Arsenal de Sarandí managed to win a match. Uh, it, it was against Crucero del Norte playing outside Misiones, so perhaps not so surprising. Arsenal won, Crucero del Norte, nil. Um, Huracán 3, Atletico, de Raf- Atletico Rafaela 2. Uh, that was a very good game. And Lanús 2, Olimpo de Bahia Blanca, nil. Gentlemen. Have you, ma- have you mentioned Kilmes 1, Sarenzo 2? Yes, that was the very first oh. one. That was on Friday. Uh, those results, obviously, the reason that Andres uh, clarifies that is, is that San Lorenzo, as a result of those matches, uh, are top of the league. They were joint top with Boca before, and obviously that means that having won and seen their rivals lose, um, they are three points clear at the top, although that is uh, qualified, let's say, um, by the fact that River Plate are three points behind them and have a game in hand. Um, they, they are current only leaders, but they could be leaders together with River if they win their pending match against Tigre. Not that we know when that match is going to be played yet, I don't think. No, um, after after the Copa America. I think. Yeah, because at the moment we're watching Racing versus Independiente, the Clásico, except that it's Independiente de Neuquén um, in the Copa Argentina. It is the actual Racing, though. 
Um, that's nil-nil after 40 minutes, and after this match, possibly before we end recording, actually, no, I hope it's not before we end recording, but we might just be edging into the um, River Plate to play a Copa Argentina game of their own, which is against... Liniers de Bahia Blanca. Thank you very much. Um, Ultra famous team. Indeed. <laughs> From the Primera, the weekend just gone, gents, which were the standout games for you? Well, the one you mentioned, I think, uh, was Huracan uh, uh, against uh, Atletico Rafaela, obviously because of the goals, with uh, changing alternatives, I think. And yes, pretty, pretty good. In the, in the bottom teams, teams do well, perhaps. Mm. Eduardo Dominguez became the first Huracan defender since the year 2001 to score twice in one match. Um, that put Huracan 2 0 up after about an hour. Uh, Atletico de Rafaela then hit back with two goals in four minutes to make it 2-2, Federico González and Ivan Puseto, um, before with five minutes left, Juan Chope, Avila, uh, made it 3-2 to Huracán. It was an entertaining match. It was Huracán's first win in seven league games. Oh, they, they were seven without a win, so their first win in eight league games. Um, and it helps the atmosphere a bit in Parque Patricios, right? Or it would do if it wasn't played behind closed doors. I can't remember exactly why that was. The answer is obviously violence. We can't remember exactly which which act of violence caused it. Um, it lifts Huracan up to the giddy heights of 24th in the league. Um, are they going to start getting their shit together now? They haven't got midweek distractions. and. Uh, I think it had to do with the rival that they, got, they were able to win because both were a bit like... Uh, uh, Clearly, bottom teams. Not it's not that they were. They had a streak streak of of non non winning matches, uh, but they were playing okay. They were they were justifying the the position they had. Yeah, um, the, the start of the match, they were both level on nine points each. Um, so that led to Rafael. Obviously, still have nine points in their third bottom of the yes. table. To give people an idea, we we can say it's different. Like changing the the, the game. Vélez uh, defeating Boca because Vélez was another of the uh-huh. under 20 if, if we were on the 20 teams tournament they would have been 19 or 17-18 or yeah. position they, they were 23rd or 24th 20, yeah 22nd or 23rd I think uh, and they, they uh, grabbed, grabbed a, a very very good victory against Boca then they're now up to 18th with 18 yes. points um, after 14 matches and one of the points that we've not really considered during this season because we've been so preoccupied with the teams here in the Copa Libertadores obviously the big five who we try and get through at the start and I think as a result Venice have kind of fallen by the wayside they've been having a really poor campaign why? What, what's gone wrong in Linares? two years ago three years ago they were in the semis semis or the quarter final of the Copa Libertadores they like managed to undo everything they had done under Gareca it would seem so they had brought uh, Flores in <laughs> in, the, in the illusion that under Flores it would, it would do the same way it, it had been doing under Gareca and that, that would be a continuity but truth be told they, they didn't do the, uh, like they did before Indeed. Um, they don't have a very young team that's one point that everybody keeps making but Vélez always have very young teams supposedly they've got a 
youth system that's good at bringing players through, although a lot of those players don't actually do very much after leaving Vélez. Last um, matches appear to be the perhaps the landing of, of for example, Jamil Asad, the son of, of the Turco Asad. Uh, famous. And uh, apart from that, Delgadillo is another player that appeared last matches uh, coming from the youth divisions, and and he impressed. I think he he got into the team and and starting started playing as if he were an experienced player, uh, doing really really good things. Uh, apart from that, Pavone started scoring. Mm. Including, for example, for last him. last week goal, a mar- magnificent goal, a backhill goal against Banfield. Yeah, it's of course Vélez's second straight win after yes. a three-one win away to Banfield. Um, it was a very good goal as well. Yes. Started uh, and finished by Pavone and Shamil Asadi. Also mentioned, scored. Uh, I think it was Vélez's first goal, wasn't it, in that match from just outside the box with a fine hit. Um, and then yeah, Pavone got the second and third goals um, to come back from one 0 down. So something clearly is happening with Vélez. More to the point, or, well, at least as much to the point, what's going on with Boca? Are they actually playing any differently to how they were when they were on that 10-match unbeaten run at the start of the season? They were poor by then, but they are really, like, disastrous by now. Um, Gago did brilliantly to get to get expelled from the game, and they basically came apart after that. But it wasn't a deserved red card, I think it was... Uh, it could have been yellow, but uh, the referee, Lusto, was, uh, I think... He decided to, to because of the violence in which he threw himself, but he went uh, to the ball and, and w- uh, he didn't throw with uh, with the uh, high leg. He was down. And, uh, independently of that, uh, Lusto decided to to send him off. But okay. kind of like when when you watch the Boca players, it would seem like if they if they had like sequels from. Um, from the from the river game that they're basically defensive about everything, complaining about everything, uh, tackling hard and like complaining at each game at each uh, time they do so, and mm. um, it's kind of like they haven't realized that they are back in the in the in the Primera División and that they have to play like they did before or get it together to to like have any sort of chance still at this point. And we talk, we talk about Boca in these terms, but they're still level on points with River. Mm. Admittedly, one game less, but still third place, three points off the lead, which they will be even if River win that game in hand. It will be River and San Lorenzo joint leaders with Boca three behind. Um, and as we said, it's it's a not a bad crisis to be having, I guess, as, as they go. The, the the way they look is worse than their results because they, as I as we said last episode. They had lost two matches in the whole year, uh, at the half of the year that has gone. Uh, one against River, uh, the Copa Libertadores, the other one wasn't finished, and they were nil-nil. And uh, against Aldo Civi, mm. the Bombonera match with no no fans. And obviously that's now three. And, I guess and now against Vélez, three matches in five months. Three, three matches in five months, but also, and again, to play devil's advocate and... Uh, you know, I've, I've gone from trying to defend them in my last comment to attacking them now. As well as three matches um, in in five months, it's also three defeats in four get well five games, isn't it? And they've won with no goals of the last five games in all competitions, or rather the last four and a half games in all competitions because of what happened in the Libertadores against River. Um, they have not won any 
that it was uh, one nil to River in the first leg of the Libertadores. They drew one one against Independiente um, in between those two legs. Obviously, the the match, um, the the second leg of the Libertadores was nil nil when it got called off and Boca was showing very little sign of, of actually overturning the, the first leg result. They could have done 45 minutes to go. You never know what might have happened. Um, followed by two straight defeats. So on the one hand, it's three defeats in five months. On the other hand, it's three defeats in the last month as well. Um, mm. And even when they weren't losing, they were playing Olimpo, Tempele, Atletico, Rafaela, Colón, Defensa Justicia, San Martín de San Juan. That, that, that is their first six league matches in order that I just read out. Mm. So it gives you an idea of that, you know, they've, they've drawn against Nueva Chicago, they've beaten Huracán, oh, well done them. Um, all that kind of stuff. R- River in the league was the first really tough test that they had. They also had an easy Libertadores group. Everything was perfect un- until the uh, round of 16, uh, sorry, quarterfinal uh, stage of, of Copa Libertadores against River because they were they had had perfect. Uh, sorry, so round of 16, no, not uh, not quarterfinal. Uh, they had okay. perfect uh, points, uh, perfect points in, in the group stage. Mm. Uh, this very uh, decent or very good performance in the in the tournament, in the local tournament, thirty team tournament, and the rotation that uh, Robarena uh, decided to do with uh, well, not, not putting the same team in in a single match was like good for him and and, and all, all the. A lot of people say, well, that's because Boca has a lot of players in high level, in good condition, and everyone could be in the starting lineup. Now that is not in favor of him. Everyone is criticizing that because there is not a clear main team. Uh, Actually, there's a, there has like been talk that uh, that the Boca board had request has requested from Arroarena that he la- from now on. He picks one team and team and plays with that one team particularly, mm. but also, for example, one thing I noticed before the the, the three game stage against uh, against River for the Copa Libertadores and the, and the Primera División, they had been like loosening up a bit on the, on the gameplay, and now it's like I feel like they have like thrown the towel. Uh, in the Primera División and like most or some of the players having so much so many players in the roster they're like thinking uh, some of them at least what are what are they going to do now it's like they well, are not yeah because they had such a big squad because they brought a bunch of players in with the aim of competing in the league and the Libertadores and mm-hmm. around the Libertadores for example Osvaldo missed training today because he said he had personal problems we're not going to them like too long into Osvaldo, we not we know what what he's like. But for example, he's a player that he knows that probably at the end of the tournament he's going to be leaving. So he's probably thinking, where am I? Where am I going to do? If you're going to consider a player like that in that condition, uh, in that mindset, particularly now, and put him as a starting player, uh, you're going to get something who's who hasn't got his head on it on on what's at, 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 at hand. Which is illustrated by the fact that Daniel Osvaldo uh, scored in the seventh round match against Estudiantes de la Plata, and that was the last league goal um, that he scored for Boca. Since then, they've played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven league matches, 
of which he's featured in most of them, I think, off the top of my head, um, and he's not scored for them. He obviously didn't score against River in the Libertadores. He has scored in the Copa Argentina against Huracan Las Heras. Seven goals in total. It's uh, Copa Argentina, one goal against Huracan Las Heras. Three goals for Copa Libertadores and three in the... Which, bearing in mind that after about five or six rounds of the league, we were talking about Daniel Osvaldo and saying we all strongly dislike him, but it's quite irritating to have to admit that he's far too good for this league. He suddenly doesn't look too good. That explains the way Boca decayed in terms of play, because... Uh, Osvaldo can, he's luxury in some ways, playing outside the box, uh, perhaps, but he, he's number nine, he's a striker and, 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 and he's there for, for, for scoring. And Pablo Perez, Lodeiro, Carrizo, the ones that were in a high level and, and, made, uh, and giving him opportunities to score, now they are not there doing it anymore. Perhaps Pablo Perez didn't play the other day, Carrizo neither. Lodeiro is injured, and that uh, means that well, the the, the clear scheme Arena had of, of some players playing brilliantly or or near to perfection, now they aren't, and and, and that that is reflected in that poor campaign by Osvaldo that uh, yeah. a lot of matches without scoring. And as we're talking about Osvaldo and, uh, on today of all days, I feel it would be wrong not to mention the personal problems um, that, that he did miss training for, which appear at least to be related to the fact he's just broken up with his girlfriend. Yeah. One of his him and, uh, girlfriends, should that was be him he, on. Was her girlfriend or, or, or already married? I don't. No, no, just, he, it was his girlfriend. It's very difficult to keep up. But, I'm going, um, I'm going I, to I'm get talking about Daniel Osvaldo here, not him and the Baron. Um, but she has, has claimed that he uh, beat her, right? Or at least he, uh, he was, was verbally abusive towards her. her. In some way. Yeah. Which is, um, and the reason I say on today of all days is that we would just been looking during halftime at the Racing game um, at the news updates from uh, the, uh, I was going to say parade, but that's wrong, isn't it? March. Um, on the, the Argentine Congress and in other cities around Argentina today because there's a big uh, public display against um, gender violence, basically, and, and femicide. Yes. Uh, Hander Pod strongly adds its voice to that Ni Una Menos campaign. Uh, our voice is going to make absolutely fuck all difference, <laughs> particularly given it doesn't also mean very much given that we don't It was a campaign that started in Twitter, Twitter and, and some, some journalists, female journalists, uh, started and now they, then it of course went outside Twitter and, and now it ended in a campaign in a in a march and a, and a, a not protest but a, a, a march uh, near Congress like mm. you said. It has and, nothing and at all to do with football obviously, but it does have to do. Yes, with but it's funny because Oswaldo, Oswaldo, which who is the one that matters to us, uh, showed a, a banner saying "Ni una menos." Yeah. And uh, after that, uh, Jimena Barón, her, her now former girlfriend, uh, said uh, he uh, he called her uh, prostitute and whore, uh, whore and, and, and let's let's clarify for uh, for uh, for the listeners that uh, Jimena Osvaldo's former girlfriend is an actress and a model and singer. Right. Now he's in, now she I'm she started. No, not really. Yeah, she and she was basically against her working in that li- in that line, and uh, the whole discussion in hand of gossip is, it was uh, about that. Um, but I'm going to get crucified for this. But uh, it kind of reminds me the story that River had with uh, Christian Fabiani 
in the, in the hindsight if you like look really over it it kind of looks like that I was outside I was out of Argentina when Fabiani left Argentina uh, left River sorry so uh, basically, a player that that uh, that romances the the crowd about his love about the club long, comes long term hand pod listeners by the way sorry yeah. to interrupt long term hand pod listeners who can remember when we first started recording when Fabiani was playing for All Boys will re- will remember him as uh, Fat Fab which is his official hand pod nickname. Christian Fabiani previous previous to to him to to his. Uh, to his arrival at River, had had a, a, good, a very good season at New Old Soul Boys and at, uh, I think, Palestino in Chile. Uh, and basically, when he got to River, he got caught in the, in the spotlight of the media and came apart horribly. Mm. To say the least, he's now um, more in prolific f- on Twitter than he is on the pitch. From yes. what I understand, but he's play- is he still playing in Bolivia or somewhere? No, it's Estudiante de San Luis in Nacional B. But yesterday in the afternoon he was watching a movie, so I guess he's not like really doing he, so well. You know, well, on the, well on he suffered from, from a tumor, yeah, and he was had a, a, a surgery. And what after that? I think he will be again playing again. Why I don't know when, when, but uh, he I had haven't heard about that. I haven't heard about that. So yes, uh, he had a, a tumor on his leg. Uh, he was operated. He was had a surgery and. and I don't uh, know whether he will be again soon or later, sooner or later, but he will, uh, apparently it was okay, the, 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 the operation was, was successful well, and, and he will be again, uh, training again with the Estudiantes de San Luis in the Primera B Nacional and trying to, to play. Well, he was already on the verge of retiring before getting to Estudiantes de San Luis. Yeah. He was going to work on, uh, on radio, I think. I think something like that, yeah. Something like that. Moving on from Boca, which we were talking about a minute ago and then stopped doing. Um, let's run through the rest of the Big Five over the weekend. Um, Racing got a very decent, I thought, 2-1 away win to Aldo CV. On the one hand, you look at it and you think, well, the champions beating a newly promoted side, so what? But Aldo CV were in very good form. Obviously, they were coming off the back of that 3-0 win in La Bonera, which although Boca are not in top form as we've said is still a win in La Bombonera for a much much smaller club um, they've been one of the better promoted sides as we have said um, in recent weeks and I was quite impressed with Racing falling 1-0 down I think if I remember rightly early on um, yeah. and then coming back I think they led 2-1 already at half time didn't they? Yes, did they did, did yeah. the second goal go in on the, right on the stroke of half time let me just double check that um, yeah, half an hour in, in fact, so not on the stroke of half-time. Oh, and then Alba Civi pulled it back on the stroke of half-time, so Racing went 2-0 up. Um, but just a very decent performance in the second half to shut them down. Um, yeah, which was, a, a, like a, we say here, a personality test because they had been out of the Copa Libertadores last uh, last Thursday uh, against Guarani, so it was like a... a Happened to San Lorenzo that I think they after they were eliminated from Copa Libertadores they won the following match in the tournament. Racing was did the same, uh, eliminated by Guarani, which who will be the rivals of River in the semi final. After that, winning uh, uh, their their match against uh, Aldo CB in the in the thirty team tournament. So uh, it was like a like we say here, a, a character or a test for 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 them because of that, because uh, it was a, like a strong, a strong uh, 
punch for them in, in their in their face. Mm. They were with the old illusion Guarani that is a yes a hard team, not a, a not a, a luxury team, but they were hard and, and, and left Racing out of the Copa and what well, Racing looked like a renew renewed after the falling against them against Guarani and and well, recovering. Uh, unlike, unlike Boca, Racing is beginning to think what they are actually going to do with Primera División. If, yeah. Rivers, if Rivers got their cannon on the Copa Libertadores, Racing is going, is going like to go all for it. Yeah. Um, Racing are perhaps looking slightly less awake in the match that we're currently watching. The second half has just kicked off and it's still nil-nil against Independiente de Neuquén. Um, they're playing with a full-strength side, interestingly, and a full-strength subs bench as well because Brian Fernandez has just come on for Washington Camacho at half-time. Um, well, same as, as Boca. Same as Boca. Did as well today. Yes, and same as Boca against the eh, and uh, they, they found the goal six minutes before the, the yeah. final whistle. Yeah, true. Um, but generally, Racing are, are starting to click, and since we mentioned, obviously, that they went out at the Copa Libertadores last week, which had not happened when we recorded last week, it happened on Thursday night. Uh, we should mention that Andres and I had a quite spectacular 100% um, record of failure in predicting who would go through in the Copa Libertadores last week yes. because we very confidently stated that Racing were going to turn it round against Guarani and that River were not going to turn it round against Cruzeiro. As those of you who listened all the way to the end of last week's episode uh, will already have known, uh, River did turn it round against Cruzeiro in very, very impressive form with a 3-0 away win um, to, to overturn the 1-0 the home leg uh, defeat. And therefore, they're in the semi-final, as Andres says, against Warani, the the vanquishers of Racing, um, who came through with a, an impressive performance of their own on Thursday night in El Cilindro. The semi-final will be played on Tuesday, the 14th of July, um, due to the Copa America. We have a month and a half break now before the Libertadores gets back underway, which means that River are going to be frantically scrambling to keep players like. Teo Gutierrez and perhaps most notably uh, to keep Matias Kranemitter and is it Balanta the other one who's been linked with Atletico Madrid? No, Mamana. Mamana, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to be trying to, to keep them apparently according to Teixe Sports earlier today um, the River directors who are currently in Spain have been talking with uh, that is Donofrio and, and I think Enzo Francesco are currently in Spain and they were talking to Atletico Madrid yesterday to try and say look if you're going to buy these two then they're for sale at the right price, but we'd like to keep them until our Libertadores campaign is over. Um, so fingers crossed from a River point of view that that happens. River's match at the weekend against Rosario Central was um, important in a way, well it was important in, in several ways, for the Primera obviously, the two of the, the main title hopefuls, but it meant as well um, that the last remaining unbeaten record in the Primera went because River got the 2-0 win against Rosario Central goals from Teo Gutierrez in the 13th minute and Carlos Machada um, Camilo Machada sorry in the 80 well it says here 89th but it was the 90th minute in fact um, but there was no lack of controversy Ramiro Funes Mori um, got away with yet another nailed on penalty decision it was reported as a vicious elbow in the face. I'm not sure it was vicious or an elbow, but it was certainly a kind of forearm push to the neck. It was a red card and a penalty, um, neither of which the referee gave, at which point River were one nil up at the time. And Rassingham just scored, by the way. <laughs> yes. uh, River were one nil up at the time, and um, 
you know, facing a penalty and down to 10 men, it could have gone very, very differently. Um, Ramiro Funes Mori has been the subject of a lot of this debate because it's not the first time this year, as I hint, that he has got away with something like this. Is he the Argentine League's version of John Terry? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, I have had this, this, is, this discussion over Twitter and I'm sure... Uh, Many will coincide with me that comparing the, um, Ramiro to to John is like uh, overestimating Ramiro. Actually, um, I'm not sure he he so, does. To be to be entirely clear, because I made this joke on Twitter uh, at the time, and a few people misunderstood it as me suggesting that Ramiro Funes Mori was a world class defender. I don't feel that John Terry is a world class defender. <laughs> I feel that John Terry is overrated and has benefited from having more intelligent defenders next to him. That's the first point of comparison with Funes Mori. And the other thing is that John Terry gets away with outrageous penalty decisions on an almost match-by-match basis. What I'm not trying, in case Ramiro Funes Mori's uh, listeners, uh, lawyers are listening to this, I'm not trying to suggest that Ramiro Funes Mori is racist or that he has provided tours to River Plate Stadium on the back of his um, uh, standing in the club from which he's profited or any of the other myriad things such as having sex with teammates girlfriends or wives um, I'm not trying to suggest that he's into any of that stuff I'm talking purely on the pitch uh. no the thing with Ramiro is uh, actually to, to be more fair with this discussion is that uh, unlike John Terry um, Ramiro does not does this uh, that does not do this out of malice he's basically clumsy he does not he sometimes uh, sometimes you get the feeling like he doesn't realize what he does uh when you look at him after after these kind of fouls, and probably the, the referees see it the same way. Yes, and uh, the same happened, like for example, with Pangioni during the summer, and then after the, after it because he he w- uh, went with some t- tackles uh, against, for example, Pavon from Boca mm-hmm. and, and and Burrito Martinez, uh, and after that, well, uh, finally. Uh, he stopped with that attitude, and, and now, no, no one remembers that. I, I hope he uh, is under a streak uh, of, 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 well, bad luck, or and he's going to stop with this because, of course, uh, there will be referees that won't, uh, that will see him uh, uh, pushing or knocking or, or, or elbowing a rival, and, and and in this case, it would have been a penalty. I don't know if it also red card, but it was a clear penalty. And oh, it was definitely a red card. Not, I don't know, but on, some, yes. some said it was, yes, red, it was. Yes, it was a red card and a penalty. Well, I don't know. I, I, what I know for sure is that uh, he can't be uh, self-confident or too self-confident and, and, and know that some other referees could, could see him doing that and, and, like, and give the penalty or, 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 or send him off. And, he gets excused because it's basically, uh, um, even though he like did this in a fairly clumsy and, uh, and stupid way. Um, some defenders in Argentina used to play like that. For example, Schiavi, mm. and he got away with it because it was basically basically how he used to play. It's not like, well, he has played like eighty minutes of good football, uh, taking it away without fouls, and then all of a sudden he like elbows someone. He used to elbow, jump over, and foul everyone. So it's like this. This is from uh, a well-established school of 
South American and particularly Rio Platense defending. Um, and in Argentina, this uh, this is the, the closest thing you're going to get to a history section on this week's Hunter Pod because we've not prepared one. Um, in, in Argentina, the, the, the reason that this happened, I often take people to matches and uh, people particularly from England, let's say, where we have, before we start watching Argentine football, we have this idea that everybody in this league, just the forwards all dive, feign contact um, and, and all the rest of it and that it's very kind of namby-pamby and, and not particularly manly. Um, people are often surprised when they see it in the flesh that actually there's relatively little diving and really quite a lot of very, very physical contact in this league. And the reason for that goes back to the 1950s when Argentina, during the 40s and 50s, had one of the best national teams in the world. They couldn't prove it in the 40s because, of course, there was no World Cup, but they won um, three or four Copas America out of four or five. There was only one in that sequence that they failed to win. Um, under the managership of Guillermo Stabile, the, the top scorer at the 1930 World Cup. Um, and they didn't compete in the World Cup in 1950 or in 1954 because Juan Domingo Perón, the president at the time, was afraid to let them compete outside Argentina in case they did lose because it would have been very bad propaganda for him. He wasn't bothered about the positive propaganda that could have resulted in them winning the World Cup. Um, he was just scared to get the bad propaganda. In 1958, therefore, after this two-decade run of, of success dominating South America, which at the time was, you know, probably the strongest um, continent football-wise on the planet, with this wonderful football. They travelled to God, Sweden. I almost got my countries mixed up then. For the 1958 World Cup. Um, and they got their asses handed to them, particularly by Czechoslovakia, um, where they lost 6-1 uh, in the group stage. It was their heaviest ever defeat. It it's still where joint heaviest ever defeat, equal of course with the 2009 under Diego Maradona's leadership, uh, managership, um, 6-1 defeat away in La Paz to Bolivia during the World Cup um, qualifiers. qualifiers. Um, they came back and you know, it's been reported that Orestes Omar Corbaca was the only player who managed to save some dignity for himself in the Argentine squad and all the rest of it. And Argent- the, the, the AFA responded by saying... We were kicked out of this World Cup. Nothing to do with not being a good enough team, nothing to do with the same group having been together for too long and getting old, nothing to do with a lack of experience at World Cup level because we refused to enter the previous two tournaments. It was down to not being physical enough compared with the Europeans. So what we're going to do is we're going to toughen our players up for future generations. And they handed down an edict to to the Argentine Refereeing Associations saying that basically we want you to let defenders and number fives, defensive midfielders, just kick opposing forwards they've got to get used to it before they hit international level they've got to toughen up and that edict has never really been repealed so whilst it's obviously not as bad now as it was with say the Estudiantes side of the late 60s the Racing side I think it was Racing of the late 60s um, who kind of introduced anti-football to to the world Um, I'm possibly doing a disservice to Racing actually it wasn't Racing was it It was somebody else but anyway um, it's obviously not as bad now basically Estudiantes and and a couple of others Um, whilst it's obviously not as bad now as it was then it remains very much a thing where the Argentine league is just this hit them hard and referees often will will look the other way I'm not trying to suggest that's why Ramiro Funes Mori got away with forearm smashing a player no but some decades before uh, beforehand of of, uh, our players the The referees are conditioned and obviously when when a defender from a big club does it whether it's River or Boca particularly, everybody who supports, you know, if it's River or Boca, everybody who supports Boca or River is going to go, oh, it's conspiracy, he gets away with this every match, blah, 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 which is why we're talking about it now. But on the other hand, the referees have been brought up in this atmosphere of 
just let them do it. Well, if, if you remember Basile, he one of Indeed. his famous phrases was that the defenders or the central uh, backs uh, had to be as ugly, as ugly and rude. Mm. As ugly as possible, yes. and he basically broke in uh, El Catadia, so... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that went at that department. But in the case of well, I, don't, I don't know whether, you know, Basile is not alone in this, and it's not just Argentine football. No. I don't know whether either of you are familiar with Alex Ferguson's first great centre back pairing at Manchester United, Gary Pallister and Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce is the current Hull City manager. I recommend you look up a picture of him. He's certainly got ugly and hard as nails all over him. Actually, I'll get your picture up now so that you can both well, see Well, Vinnie Jones, I think he was one of them. Yeah, but Vinnie Jones isn't that ugly. And this, you'll see Not what I mean when I get Steve yeah. Bruce up on the screen. Yeah, I, I, this I, is Steve Bruce. <laughs> I have heard uh, a bit about uh, British football. and, uh, For example, the, the stories of uh, Nottingham Forest with Clough and uh, mm. Larry Lloyd and, and Kenny Burns and that, that sort of players uh, were basically very dour but sometimes in contrast like, of the good players. Sometimes, like you said, when you are in disadvantage physically or, or, or in the skills, you used to... Uh, kick the the opponents in order to uh, make more even the, the the difference not so make the difference not so evident. But in this case, I think Fulham Mori had a pair of of bad plays and, and and rude plays, but has nothing to do with his way of playing. No, uh, it's more to do with being a bit clumsy and not always yes. paying attention, maybe. Um, we have covered Racing, Boca and River, so it's time to move on to another of the big five, Independiente, who, as I said earlier, managed to first win in eight matches against Tigre. wasn't the most impressive performance, but it's a win to win, right? No, but as, as, is, uh, as is usual, uh, when there is a coach that is, is not anymore, they win. Uh, the team that uh, sucks, not in a literal way, but sucks the manager, uh, the following match is won by the, by the team, and it, it was the case of Independiente. Yeah, Fernando Perón was the stand-in uh, manager for Independiente. Um, do we know anything about him? I think he had been in charge of, uh, of the server, right? In yes, the, and uh, yeah. they, they aren't. Uh, they are still looking for a manager, and they are. They can find it. It, it looks it, like they approached Matias Almeida at Banfield and um, were turned down. Um, we know that much. Who, who are the main front runners at the moment? I saw a couple of names earlier, but I've forgotten them in the rush of moving house. I think they, 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 there was the name that was written out, but I think never was near of uh, being the coach is uh, Guillermo Varasquelotto. Then I think oh. then the one that is closer is uh, is Peregrino. I don't know if But they the crowd is like basically like against him, Guillermo. Uh, actually, um, the, the, the Independiente board approached uh, the Lanús board to, to ask about Guillermo and they like got a sound no mm. uh, Almeida has, got, has had a, like a really good run and he's like really comfortable at, at Banfield so. he will continue and even perhaps he's had, he have his contract renewed so possible uh, for Barros Esquerotto would be an interesting choice for a club who you know aren't the most disciplined on the pitch at present they've a few red cards recently so yeah let's get Guillermo Barros and Gonotto and he'll sort this out another one that I think now they are uh, making some meetings with him is is Pizzi mm. uh, but I, the, the one who is with no with no show right now is uh, Mauricio Pellegrino even though that the, 
the supporters don't like him. They have like been hanging flags at the Pelin Bruno and that yeah. sort of thing. And I wouldn't dismiss the newly sacked uh, Gallego as well. It's like I, I never learned this. Oh, sorry, you said newly sacked. I thought I he got yes. sacked this week. Yeah. Um, yes. yes, he did after Newell's 1 um, 1 draw at home to Banfield, who, funnily enough, were managed by one of the supposed candidates for the Independiente job. Um, Maxi Rodriguez after 24 minutes, Mauricio Cuero after 31, and Maxi got sent off late on. Newell's haven't won in. Anybody want to guess how many matches? No. Let's see where they're. Bloody hell, where are they here? I'm trying to get them up now. This would have gone much more smoothly. It looks a lot cooler if I'd just been able to whip the answer straight back out here, wouldn't it? The Maxi Rodriguez sagging uh, expulsion was simply unbelievable. They are four matches uh, without a win, and indeed it was. Yeah, Maxi um, got, got the first, first yellow card because he brought on a, a baby. No, he got the first yellow card for allowing one of his teammates, uh, because he was yeah, the team right. captain, to bring a baby onto the pitch, um, which was even bloody worse, if anything. <laughs> Um, and Lucas you know, Bernardi has been mentioned as a yes. future Newell's manager perhaps he's obviously just retired a few months ago from playing um, so it would be an interesting choice and talking about suspensions do you know how many matches will be unable to play Fabian Cubero of Vélez go on six matches what? because of the sent off and the suspension of their because of the yellow cards mm. now he has been playing because of the trend the famous 225 article because of uh, other players being, players being on the under 20 under 20 World 20, Cup yeah. and he will be out for six matches wow for a player who'd never had a red card until three weeks ago to have got two in consecutive matches and then pick up a six match suspension as a result is pretty impressive work really isn't it yes um well if Nicole wanted a vacation now he would probably be able to take it well, yeah, I mean, if you're suspended for the next match, you may as well go, because obviously we have the, the break for the Copa America coming up after this weekend. Uh, to cover the final one of the big five, um, San Lorenzo, the league leaders, as we mentioned earlier, with the 2-1 win over Quilmes, they're now four games without defeat and playing pretty well. We said earlier on in the year that Edgardo Balsam was getting some criticism for being too defensive, um, but they've only had, let's see, three 1-0 uh, wins. Another goal. And then Brian Fernandez. Three one nil wins, a couple of defeats, but in you know most of their wins have been three or two or even four on one occasion goals scored, um, and they look like they're clicking and doing well. And suddenly, all of the criticism about them has vanished again. And they are they have some sort of luck because of uh, the second goal was just hilarious, the way it, it has been with the I think Benitez is the goal goal scorer goalkeeper of Quilmes. Uh, he the, well the, the ball I think bounced in the post and then in his back and well was into the net. So that was the second goal for San Lorenzo and the the at, at that moment the the match was one one and uh, that incredible own goal was I think uh, some some sort of luck for San Lorenzo, which the commentators continued to give as a Calderucci goal even after they'd seen the replay they went. Oh, could have been an own goal, but let's give it to Calderuccio. It's the definition of an own goal. The ball was travelling away from the goal when it hit the goalkeeper. Yes. It infuriates me. If you're going to commentate, then get it right. Um, but yeah, decent win. Went to a kilometre side who gave it a good go, especially in the first half. The second half, San Lorenzo just 
clearly improved, but Kilmer's ended the first and half. And I think that the following matches, or at least the following, because there will be the the break of Copa America, uh, if Kilmer doesn't get a really good result, or <laughs> I think there will be the 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 uh, coach number twelve to to be sacked because well, Falcioni is also uh, in the. The Ole's Kilmes section, uh, team section, claims that um, Kilmes are not expecting Falcioni to um, keep his job after that this weekend, basically. So either they think he's going to resign himself during the break, or they're planning to sack him during the break. Um, so you heard it here first. As long as you don't understand Spanish, you heard it here first anyway. Um, Julio says that Falcioni might well be out of a job in about a week's time. Or effectively in a week's time, if they keep money longer, he's not going to see. When, it when there is a when a board member of a club says that the the coach is being read, is safe in his job, that means they will sack him. It's probably like that. And when they say he's not safe in his job, <laughs> it's even more certain. Um, other notable results over the weekend then to mop up the non-big five games Tempele got a decent 2-0 win away to, uh, to Nueva Chicago not especially notable but well done Tempele uh, Samiento versus Argentinos was probably the worst match of the weekend 0-0 yes. and about two shots on target per side I think if I remember that one correctly um, others 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 Estudiantes Colón was the only other goalless game did either of you see that because I missed it or rather, I didn't no. miss it. It was on at the same time as River Central, um, so I wasn't paying too much attention because I had to cook dinner at, during the second half. Well, um, uh, River Central was clearly Barbero uh, plus ten because it was just uh, well, they were the typical saves from him, but they were several several saves. Ooh, and talking of goalkeepers who do a good job for their team, we said at the beginning of the season that Gimnasia were going to miss Fernando Monetti, who just moved to Lanús because he was one of the best goalkeepers in Argentina at the beginning of the season um, that proved to be correct they were missing Fernando Manetti they were leaking goals a lot it was costing them lots of points and on Saturday or Sunday Saturday um, Nicolás Navarro really stepped up he, he's been impressive in the last couple of matches before that he came out with three superb saves um, against Belgrano after Jorge Rojas um, had finished off a very nice little move from Gimnasia to give them a 1-0 lead away in Cordoba it's not easy to win against Belgrano much less so in Cordoba um, and Navarro thereafter stepped up and just gave an immense goalkeeping performance I thought there was an overhead kick at one point that he saved from almost point blank range there was a header um, and a couple of other things superb so well done Navarro looks like Gimnasia and well done Gimnasia as well and Pedro Trovio for sticking with him he he now recovered because we we must remember the uh, strong mistakes he made against River, for example, leaving the ball there in the in the box and uh, being uh, River players taking advantage of it and, and scoring. So well, he he now uh, did it well, perhaps. I've just looked up to see how old he is. Something happens with happens with Belgrano every time that. We say he, they are strong team. They are not. I don't. I won't say candidates, but they are. They are in the fighting for. How old is he? He's like twenty. He's thirty years old. Thirty years old. Which makes me feel very <laughs> old because I. That, that means that I. I was remembering him from when he was at Argentinos, which yeah. I was thinking of as just a few years ago. And in fact, he was at Argentinos 2010-2011 when I came here, when I moved here, I should say, and was at River the season before that. 
Um, but his first spell at Arcadinos, which is what I actually remembered him from, was 2006 to 2008. That's nearly 10 years ago, which tells me that I've been following Argentine football for far too long for someone who's not Argentine. Um, he was a part of the Argentine uh, team that won the Beijing 2008 Olympic gold medal. Um, and he's having a, well, I won't say an Indian summer, because in fact 30 is about peak age for a goalkeeper. He's probably coming into his peak, if anything, now. So, well done him and good luck to him. Um, and other results, uh, we already mentioned the 3-2 between Orakan and Atletico de Rafaela. That was the most notable of the other matches, I think. San Martin defensor, 2-2. San Martin's second consecutive 2-2 draw um, was a pretty entertaining game as well. Um, we're going to play some music now. When we come back, we're going to have a small... To replace the fact that we've not done a history section this week, but Gustavo is here, so we'll get him to give us a quick lower league roundup, if he doesn't mind. Um, and we will answer some listeners' questions in the time being as well. So don't go anywhere. say that Santiago Munyagurria, the other lower league fan in the Handapot team, is no longer part of the Handapot team. Um, we had a massive argument, he said some deeply racist things and uh, I forced it, no that's not true at all. Um, Santi has moved to Australia um, with his wife Coral, his lovely wife Coral I should say, we, we know her well. Um, so we wish him, if he's listening to this, all the best and Coral as well. Goodbye Santi, we'll um, miss you. Well he changed... Football by Australian football. Yes, he'll yeah. presumably be, be playing some Aussie rules while he's there. Um, and we hope at some point that he's going to be coming back to visit his family at some point in the next year or so. We'll be able to get him on for a guest spot. But that leaves Gustavo as the only person who has a clue what's going on below the Primera in Handapot. That's not quite true, of course, because English Town pays some attention to it. Uh, but he's never around anymore. So Gustavo, take us through the lower leagues, if you will. Well, basically, in uh, Nacional B, um, Patronato and Santa Marina, our favorite teams are on, on the on the higher part of the table. They, if I'm not wrong, they are meeting each other this weekend. Uh, Which round are we coming up to? The 18th. The 18th, right. And you have like the Douglas Haig against Santa Marina. Exactly. Uh, sorry, it wasn't Patronato versus uh, versus Santa Marina. It's actually the Buenos Aires derby uh, between Pergamino and uh, and uh, and Andil, which are basically not very far away from each other. When you say Buenos Aires, just to clarify, it, we mean. Province. Teams in the in the Buenos Aires province that are actually outside of the uh, capital federal and uh, well, quite in the Greater Buenos Aires. Uh, you have in, the, in at the top of the league. You have also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Atlético de Atlético de Paraná in Entre Ríos, mm -hmm. uh, Atlético Tucumán, and Gimnasia Jujuy under the. Under, under the guidance of our good friend uh, Sebastián El Gallego Méndez. Uh, 
Uh, and Los Andes, which had been up to a, a up to a couple of week, weeks ago, had been the leader of uh, of the Nacional B. Uh, well, they've fallen away a fair yeah. bit then because they're sixth yeah. now. And what six, four, eight points off the lead. Mm-hmm. So they have about a couple of weeks. Under and they defeated uh, Aldo in the Copa Argentina also. Yes, was that on penalties or was it one 0 No, I think no. it was the, in the ninety Who? minutes. Today? No, no, no today. No, no, last last week. Last yeah. What can oh. you, in terms of the general, because we haven't done a lower league update, I, I don't think at all this year. So how has the, the season gone? Generally speaking. Obviously, we can tell which have been the best teams from looking at the league table, but are there any who are particularly trying to close in on promotion? We should say, by the way, that the first place um, in the second division will be promoted automatically, and then there will be a playoff between second, third, fourth and fifth for the other hmm. um, promotion spot to the 2016 uh, presumably transitional championship in the Primera as we go into another six months before we get back into 2016-17 uh, in all divisions. Well, I could give you like um, at least uh, basically the, the the two teams that have done, have done very well, and the, for me the two teams that done, have like done the worst uh, for expect for expectations they had like um, Santa Santa Marina uh, had done really really well so far, and Los Andes, uh, which has basically kept the, the structure from the. From the last tournament in Primera B Metro, have been doing really well. Right, they've like, this one promotion to the reorganised B Nacional. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and for the last for the last two teams that actually could be expected for me or the ones who will do the worst were Ferro, who have been like really really um, had not done very well, and All Boys who has basically sunk to the bottom. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, sharing sharing the bottom with uh, with, with Sportivo Belgrano now uh, at all boys uh, Pepe Romero I don't know if you re- remember him the the manager that brought uh, all boys back to Primera División has returned but he has like stated that he hasn't like got a really uh, a legendary player of, of all boys also mm? legendary player also of all boys also. Mm. Uh, he had been uh, at the club, I think, at, since the 1960s or so, and he has stated like he will do the best he can, but he hasn't got like uh, too many expectations uh, regarding what what will happen with the team. He will basically try to st- to to keep the team afloat. In terms um, of the Promenios, all boys are also in deep shit because they're bottom of the Promenios. So it's not just that they're doing poorly this season. They're in genuine danger of getting relegated, which obviously for some of the teams in the Primera, for instance, we, we mentioned that Arsenal are doing particularly poorly. Atletico de Rafael are a good example. They're doing very poorly this season, but they're actually not really in any great danger of being relegated because they've, they've been good in previous seasons. Whereas All Boys uh, did extremely poorly when they got relegated in the transitional championship last year and could now just drop straight through to, to the Bay Metro. It's like um, in Nacional Bay, you got a, you got a handful of teams that could actually get a good shot uh, of getting to Primera. For example, I, I, I had um, I had given Chacarita a good chance as well, but they had like been flaky. They, they have a good team. They have replaced well. Um, they, they have had a streak of, uh, of injured uh, strikers, so it hasn't been so uh, like um, good for them. And you have like two or three teams that you are basically certain that are going to be in for relegation this season all boys is probably be one of them mm. 
even in spite of Pepe Romero coming back, they are like they have like lost uh, a lot of players. They haven't been able to reinforce yeah, them well. Big financial crisis at the end of last, well, the second yes. half, the whole second half of last year almost. And you have no hope or no actual hope that they will be able to reinforce with those two positions by June and like get back in the. Would Caleri send uh, sell to Europe? Keep them a percentage of the transfer. No. Sorry, just to, to um, explain what Andres is saying. Jonathan Caleri plays for Boca Juniors now, former All Boys player, and is expected perhaps to. He's one of the players who's very much on Boca's for sale list. Uh, and if he does move to Europe, it would give All Boys a development. Perhaps fee, I, think. I, I, don't I don't know. Minimum. Sometimes it, it I think it's a minimum of like five percent, except uh, uh, if there was any clause in the. Mm-hmm. In 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 the, in the contract when he got to to Boca Juniors, I think they there was the level, but there was a like a sum of a ten percent or twenty twenty percent. He didn't sure. do a Carlos Tevez when he moved from All Boys to Boca. No, no. he no. didn't change his surname so that All Boys didn't see anything at all and have no rights over him. So that's that's the main thing. At least they're going to get something. You would assume whatever happens. I mean, uh, if All Boys sold him to Boca without a thirty clause that says if he goes to Europe we get this much money. Then no, really. but but they are so deep in debt that even in spite of Caleri being sold to Europe, they're, they're not going to be able to lift lift back uh, or do any real difference with with the money they get. And and the the other the other two teams that I that I would get like a really good chance of not staying up mm. uh, would be Union de Mar del Plata, which uh, have basically been uh, they have been lousy all. All season long, they have lost and won a couple of games, uh, not that much. Or Sportivo Grano, which are always on the verge of relegation. And I think this. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I've only just noticed that it's four teams going down from the Bay Nacional in this season. So at the moment, those spots are Sportivo Belgrano. Oh, uh, no, sorry. Uh, Guillermo Brown, Guarani. Uh, Antonio Franco. Uh, Antonio, I always say Alejandro Franco. <laughs> Antonio Franco. Unión de Mar del Plata and All Boys. Um, but yes, Sportivo Belgrano right above them. And interestingly, for me, former champions of Argentina, Federal, um, are only three places above the drop zone and they're the lowest placed by some distance of the teams who've got four campaigns on the promedio table. Um, four campaigns, three and a half seasons, obviously, those of you who are familiar with the points average system. Um we need to take into account that it's now not three full seasons, it's three and a half full seasons because of the transition um, to this year-round calendar that we have temporarily at present. Um, do Federal have any... Uh, are they in danger of going down? They actually are because they uh, they are not showing any sign... It's it's still a long way to, to December, okay? So we're not done by now, but it's like... Um, you have to consider with these teams what actual chance they have of of uh, of coming back for example ferro won their first game in like four or five this weekend against union de mar del plata which is like one of the one one, one, one of the ones in the bottom, bottom uh by 2-2-0 uh but uh if you have to consider the number of teams that are going down and the possibility of of bringing two players that would make the difference uh you don't like see it happening for me mm-hmm. If they if they don't go to relegation, they will be at the at the like at the edge of relegation, which puts them in serious shit for next season, obviously. 
Farro, Farro is the, has been like that for uh, for a few seasons now. They're like um, this at this last break, they they lifted the um, the quiebra, the uh, the bankruptcy the, the club had, but they are like still a long distance from finishing their their, their stadium and bringing play bringing in players and and managers that make a difference and get them back to the to the um, to the upper half of the of the table. Has a former Argentine champion ever been as low as the Primera B before? He asks, already Ch- suspecting the answer. Chacarita has gone up uh, down to the Primera C. Yeah, and some of the uh, very early champions, Argentino de Quilmes, for instance. Argentino de Quilmes, Primera C. Champions? Did no, they the I can't ones? remember. I'm going to have to look that up now. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be ancient history. I have, for some reason, managed to install in my head the idea that Argentinos de Quilmes sorry, won. Sorry if we have any Argentina de Quilmes listeners, that was kind of a snarky much, remark. I'm very much but. down with it. 25 seasons in the Primera, and, oh, bloody hell. Long way. Oh, no, they've never won the Primera. In fact, they've never won the, the B Nacional either, so I was making that up entirely. <laughs> uh, ignore me. Uh. But yeah, do, do we know anything about the, the divisions lower than this as well? Or uh, well, primera, we how, have. How generally? Sorry, it is a layman's question because I, I've been paying a little bit of attention to results in the Bay Nacional. I've not watched any games because there are fucking fifteen in the Primera alone each weekend, um, and he's got the time. But um, particularly when the Primera wants the ones that I have my money from. Um, but how has the Bay Nacional been affected by the? Expansion of the Primera, obviously knocking off essentially the first, the, the top half of what used to be the Bay Nacional, and therefore moving the Bay Nacional down half a division, if you like. Uh, has the general standard been affected at the lower leagues, or is it all? Um, I think it's like this. Um, it has it, it has switched in a strange way as, as we had prevented before uh, before we started this tournament, um, in a way that. Some some teams for, for the the teams that were coming from Argentina are some of them reinforced, but oh, but overall you you have like really no idea how they would fare, and you like need uh, you like need two or three seasons to see actually how uh, how we let up. It's like for example, if you if you see the the games, if you see the games on TV and you usually watch them, it's not the same. Level of expectations you had you had before on a national mm-hmm. you had like really good, really well established uh, teams, some coming from Primera División, some co- some coming from Primera B Metropolitana with some Primera history. You say Los Andes, Chacarita, Platense, even Atlanta. Uh, you you had teams that had titles and you and now you have like these complete unknowns coming from Argentina, which some of them are like really strong teams. In the interior, but have yeah. not no no history with titles and Primera División. Which we kind of hinted at early on in the first weeks of the year when you came on. I remember you recording at least two episodes in this flat before, which means you've mm. been on before in 2015, Gustavo. Mm. Um, and we mentioned that the 30 team Primera came about because Julio Rondona, God bless his soul, not um, wanted to um, federalize the Argentine First Division and open it up to more of the rest of the country. Um, in fact, the Argentine First Division at the moment is just as dominated in terms of the proportion by clubs from greater Buenos Aires as it ever has been. Um, 
that what it has federalised, this restructuring of the Primera, by opening up the B Nacional to ten more teams who would normally be lower down the pyramid, it's managed to federalise the B Nacional far more. So the B Nacional hmm. currently looks like what Grandona would have wanted the Primera to look like in terms of the spread of provinces who've got sides in it. Um, and it, is that affecting the play? Is it affecting... I mean, travel times have got to increase, which I'm imagining for some of the clubs in the second division is going to be more of a financial strain than it might have been if they were in the Primera, let's say. Well, uh, most most of the teams are, uh, at, the, at the interior are still waiting for the for the away fans to come back to, to be able to to lift their, their their economies again. And for them, the ban has been a lot longer but, than it has for the Primera teams. Yeah. The ban in the lower divisions has been since two thousand and nine, is it or something? Eight. Something that surprised me, and I heard the day was that the National B teams they win the same amount of money from TV, the rights. Uh, all 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 of the teams uh, receive the same amount of money, no matter they are a small yeah. or big team. Yeah, whereas in the Primera, say Crucero del Norte, they're getting something like one twentieth of the amount of money that River and Boca get from television. Yes. Which, it, on the one hand, makes sense, and on the other hand, it's deeply unfair. Uh, <laughs> always receive the same amount of money than Union de Mar del Plata, for example. Hmm. Um, the difference is. To, sorry, sorry uh, I'll make a. A short brief uh, comment because I, I'm not sure I hadn't answered. You're seeing good games in the National Bay, but you are not really sure that uh, that the National Bay is, is holding up to the standard it, it usually had. You like have to give it like two years for teams to come back from the Primera División, those who have been promoted and are not really Primera División quality, mm-hmm. and for the Primera B and Argentino A teams that hadn't been promoted to get back uh, into National B, but with the with the with the scheme of promotions that will be like how many were they from uh, from from Primera División coming back to National B at the end of this year? Yeah, two, two. You have to give it like two or three years for National B to like begin to go back to what it was before. By which time it will be bigger as well, because obviously yeah. at the end of this year it's two up, two down, but then halfway through next year it's expected, I think, to be three down and only one up, or possibly six down and three up or something like that to, but, to make the Primera smaller again. But also, and this, I promise this will be the last on National B, you're seeing some teams that in previous years, for example, Chacarita, which had gone, gone up with us uh, in the two, 2011 uh, season, you're seeing teams like Chacarita in the middle of or top half of the table, which wouldn't have been able to do that if they had been on the, for example, in the 2011 or 2012 scheme of uh, Nacional B. Mm. Moving on to Primera B, for just, just a, a, a couple of minutes, um, New listeners or long-term listeners who don't look at the second, the lower division, whatever, might be a bit confused about why we've just talked about the Nacional B and we're now talking about Primera B as if it's a different division. The answer is that it is a different division. Um, Primera B is uh, the very confusingly named third division in Argentine football, regional third division, we should say. It's only for teams who are in the Greater Buenos Aires region. Um, and the main reason that I wanted to make a comment on it was because Santi could not possibly have chosen a worse time to move to Australia because he is a socio and a match-going fan of, well, first of all, of Arsenal de Sarandí, as we know, but also of Defensores de Belgrano, who, who are much closer to his, his parents' house, I should not his house anymore. They're both almost equally far away now. 
um, from Santi's house, and they're top of the Primera Bay by some distance, seven points clear after 17 matches, um, which translates to considerably less than half of the season. It's a 22 team division with everyone playing everyone else twice, but all the same, surely well, that coming up. Right? Also, coming, having, having, having returned from Primera C in less than a year. Mm. Indeed, yeah, yeah, they, they went down, didn't they? They, they, um, Defensores de Belgrano have been exceed, have done exceedingly well from for what they were, for what was expect, expected of them, and also because some of the other uh, teams that were candidates for the title had been basically shit. Sorry for the word, but uh, for example, Platense has fallen apart. Morón has fallen. Latency has fallen apart, Almirante Brown has fallen apart, Moron has fallen apart. So, all of the usual regular teams that are at the top of the table have basically fallen apart, and mm-hmm. Defensores has done very well to, to like keep the keep the distance and win the necessary and important games uh, this season. They've won 10, which is, well, it looks like two more because second place Brown de Alcaraz have won eight, but in fact, Deportivo Riestra have won nine and they, they have a game in hand. Uh, in third place, but they've, more importantly, they've lost one, and the next lowest figure in the losses column in the bay, in the Primera Bay is four. Um, so that's where Defensores points are coming from, basically by not conceding and not losing silly mm. games rather than necessarily by winning all of them. Although they have won more than anybody else so far, um, we're not going to go any further into the the Primera Bay. I don't think there's no need. But very briefly, I called them the elephants, and their current badge has got a dragon on it. But Defensores de Belgrano do have an elephant on their badge normally, don't they? Sorry? No, I'm thinking of um, Defensores de Belgrano de Vichar Ramacho. Mm-hmm. Elephants on their badge. Another team in town. No, no. The Dragon. The, dra- the, the, the Defensores de Belgrano is the, the, the Dragon. Dragon. And they don't play in Belgrano, they play in Nunez, which as Santi once explained to us is because Belgrano used to be a separate city and uh, that's where they were from. Uh, but it's now in the barrio of Nunez. So Defensores de Belgrano play in Nunez, River Plate. Everybody refers to the stadium as being in Nunez when it's actually in Belgrano. Argentine trivia for you. Um, Questions, listeners' questions. We should say, by the way, very quickly before we do the listeners' questions, and to explain the tapping that you can hear on my keyboard at the moment, is that in the Copa Argentina, the full-time whistle has just gone between Racing and Independiente de Neuquén, um, and Racing have won 2 nil. So, there we go. Racing are through to the last... Another classic of Racing. The last 32 of the Copa Argentina, so there's still some way to go in that one. So, so they are also th- one of the 32 best teams in the in the country yes along with communications <laughs> um, next up starting in about 25 minutes as I said it's going to be just about as we finish recording or possibly slightly afterwards is uh, River Plate's Copa Argentina match against Liniers de Bahia Blanca but first of all some listeners questions which we'll go straight into um, first of all JB Boxing Promotions who may or may not have changed his hand of pod uh, his, his Twitter handle in order to get me to read out his company name on hand of pod um, for free publicity, asked, is there any official word if goal difference is going to be a tiebreaker for the 2015 Primera for international qualification? I'm just going to turn up the gain on the microphone again because I turned it down when Gustavo went closer in. Um, the answer is, not that I've noticed, I haven't checked out the rule book for this season, but the way that it normally works is that for the title and for any meaningful league places, um, the uh, if two teams finish level on points then they play a playoff that's what it worked out with uh, last season with the Boca Vélez match even though 
that particular table was always on goal difference and Boca made an appeal based on the fact they finished level on points and the AFA gave it to them. Um, but for the championship table, and any that was on the season-long table, for the championship table, um, qualification is always done via a tie-break if two teams finish level on points. So the the reason that the Boca and, and JB is, um, is a Boca fan, the reason that the Boca... Um, qualification for the Libertadores this year was controversial was first of all because uh, that playoff shouldn't have been happening because it wasn't via one of the championship tables that they qualified it was via the season long league table and secondly because Boca if they qualified for the Copa Libertadores could not have qualified for the Copa Sudamericana last year and as it was they played both the tiebreak should have been if the tiebreak should have happened which it shouldn't but if, if it did then it had to happen within three days of the end of the, no I think it is three days after the end of the season isn't it rather than within three days um, but basically for this season there's no uh, I've not heard any official announcement but I very strongly suspect that the rules will not have changed which means that if they're going to put oh no but hang on international qualification sorry for this year completely forgot about this the answer to the question is going to be no there's no official word but little will have changed but in fact it's not being done by the league because Libertadores qualification at the end of this year goes to the champions of 2015 and then I think second place goes into the Libertadores and then they have playoffs from third down to something like ninth or tenth for Copa Libertadores spots they're going to have playoffs and from ninth or tenth no hang on it might be down to eighth and then from ninth down to sixteenth or something like this um, they have playoffs for Copa Sudamericana 2016 so the answer is no and yes at the same time, basically. Um, we will get into the playoffs closer to the time, because at the moment, nobody really understands how they work anyway. Um, so come back to us towards the end of the year, and trust me, Handapog will explain everything to you. Sasha says, just seen the Crucero del Norte result, just a reminder that they lost 1-0 away to Arsenal. I'm disappointed, it would just add to the vomit-inducing anti-Crucero del Norte discrimination on Hand of Pod. All I hear is Crucero shit, equipo de la B... In reality, they are a group of noble bus drivers who are in the A by right. Crucero's presence in the A is the legacy of Grondona's eternal commitment to egalitarianism. He may be dead, but his dream lives on. Um, I'm going to make a very small point, first of all. Um, the first thing is to point out that a team who have lost six matches out of six away from home and who have only picked up points on their home pitch, which nobody else can play on because it's ridiculously overgrown and has grass up to your knees... To point out that they might not be very good at football, it's not discrimination. Um, I say this with a smile on my face, because partly because I suspect that Sasha was tweeting it with a smile on his face. But the other point is t- to make is that we actually have a lower division expert here with us. So, Gustavo, how good are Crucero del Norte, really? Well, for the current standard of, uh, of Nacional, <laughs> they're like, really good. Um, we we like cannot forget that Crucero del Norte basically rose up... Uh, we can discuss the, the origin of where, where it came from and the finances and who the owner... Uh, oh, they were founded in, nine, in 2007 or so. They're about eight years old now, right? Yeah. Yeah, they basically rose up really quickly and you can you can discuss how they did, but you cannot discuss the, 
Actually, you can discuss where it comes from, but you cannot discuss how they did it. Argue how they did it. They won fair and square and they got to Primera División oh, fair and square. We've never said otherwise. If, if they had any kind of, uh, of uh, financing or something that's, that's something that belongs to the club. And, and it certainly isn't happening this year because they had a big falling out with the government of Misiones province at the beginning of the year as a result of which they're um, struggling for money this season. Um, but I would take issue with Sasha's um, opinion that they're in the Primera by right, purely because, regardless of the fact that, that Crucero del Norte are not good enough for the Primera, and say um, some of the stronger sides, Aldo Sibi, for instance, and Union de Santa Fe, appear to be good enough for the Primera, regardless of, the fact, of that fact, none of these sides are in the Primera by right because it shouldn't have been expanded by 10 fucking teams in the beginning well, of the season. Well, if, if it, I, can, I can envision that if, if the structure hadn't changed, Crucero would probably have been like for three or four seasons in the Nacional B and then back to the, to the Federal A. And, uh, and, and this is after they very nearly won promotion at the end of the last proper promotion season, t- 2014-15, when we, on this podcast, were all hoping that they would get up, partly because it would have given us their undefensive DCR2 bus company teams in the Primera, in a 20-team Primera, which would have been brilliant. Um, we don't bear any ill feeling towards Crisero del Norte at all, it's just that I happen to think that they're not good enough. Um, I'm obviously the most hearable voice on the podcast, because I'm the editor and on every episode, but it, I no, think it's, so it's, far, nobody disagreed with me. So. It's not It's not evil to think that, and you can uh, and you can bet, and sorry Sasha to say this, but uh, if the structure of the tournament had had changed many teams wouldn't have uh, gotten up to the Primera División for example Defensa y Justicia as well did a very good campaign and they were well, they came up before the tournament before the, the structure changed yes but so, they wouldn't have stayed so long in the Primera División as well well they might not yet because they've not been in it for a full season as we stand but um, I suspect that you're right anyway Temple they, they promote, promoted to First Division the same way Crucero Norte right and they are, they look more decent. I don't say Temple are are a team that deserves to stay at third division, and Crusader Norte doesn't. But if you look at the Temple campaign, they have won at least a pair of of more matches that, than than Crusader Norte, and, and and have promoted the same way. Than, than but also literally a pair because Crusader Norte won two and Temple won four. But Crusader Norte, as we say, picked up every single one of their points. At home, um, which and, and in fact have only lost once at home, which when you look at their away results and the fact that they don't appear to be able to play football, um, suggests to me that the pitch is playing some part. I know that the pitch was like this for several years in the second division. Also, the, the Andres Guacurari is the the longest pitch in the Primera División. It's actually longer and wider than the San Lorenzo pitch. Oh, I thought you were talking about the grass length, but you're yeah. talking about the... Oh, the, 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 the dimensions, yes. Wow, that's interesting. Is this because of... They actually did this on purpose. Cuantras de campo, as they say. The, yeah. the length, <laughs> the length of the block in the city and the countryside being longer than in Capital Federal? Or? Uh, think of it like this. Uh, particularly for a team for Las Crucero del Norte, they were basically trying to make it as difficult as possible. Yeah. For the other teams uh, playing there, and but for the traditional way for a small team to do that, who can't necessarily afford players who are going to play expansive Barcelona-style football, 
is to make the pitch very narrow, very short, and to therefore make it easier to close down the space. Some, some so teams, in a way, I admire the fact that they've decided to open up the space. And no, but some teams, for example, the, the, the field in, the, in, in which the Wakurari was, was installed was basically uh, bare. They had like a really, really long, really long space, and they basically took advantage of it. Many of the teams that you see doing that, for example, uh, that play in small fields in Primera División, such as Argentinos or Impo, are restrained because of, uh, of of the stadium size and and are not as conditioned as uh, Crucero. Think of it is think of it like this. Um, Crucero is in the north of Argentina. You had like really strong temperatures dur- during the summer and the, and the spring. You can like, you can get like up to 40, 40 degrees, degrees uh, Celsius. And when we talk about it being hot for Argentina in the summer and spring, it is worth pointing out that it is now the 3rd of June as we record. I, it's winter and it's been bloody lovely here in Buenos Aires today. I was walking down the street in jeans and a t-shirt and sweating slightly earlier today. Um, global warming is happening. It's a reality. Uh, and even in Buenos Aires, it's still far too warm to be getting on for midwinter. Um, so in the north, in Misión, it's much closer to the equator. It's much damper. Yeah. Uh, so consider these factors. You have a long, a long pitch with long grass, 40 degrees uh, Celsius in the, in the summer, and it's damp. Mm. If, you, if your team doesn't win, the pitch will eat them up alive. Yeah. And another thing that while you've been talking, I, I kind of realised makes sense as well, is that if you're going to, to deliberately grow the grass so long that it disrupts opponents' play, then actually the best thing you can do is also make the pitch extra wide and extra long because it means that they're going to struggle even more to pass it between them because they've got to... Exactly. If you're hitting a normally paced pass to pass it across the back line and it's sitting up in the grass, let's say, I'm exaggerating slightly because it's not as if hmm. they've been scoring a bunch of goals from the centre-backs failing to pass it to each other. Um, but also, but I guess for example, Lucero doesn't have like that, strong, that, that, that many numbers in the, in the stands. So they, they 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 like really don't care if the, if the I don't know if the stands are close to the field. Mm. It doesn't. It won't make any any difference for them. As illustrated by the president's comments at the start of the year, we're going to play the home matches against Independiente and River, who are the two big five sides that they have in their own stadium uh, in a different province, Chacolate, because there are no football fans in Misiones. So they don't feel any need to. I can I can alienate. I can say it and 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 talking. Uh, I'm talking for the for, for the football fans in Misiones because a friend of mine is mm. that actually most of the of the football fans in Misiones belong to Guarani and Torifra. Yeah, which is no surprise given that as we say, Cristiano Ronaldo eight years old. Exactly. Um, Leon Rusoma, and so I would just like to point out again. So first of all, we don't consider it bias against Cristiano, but not that we hope that we're not. We're merely saying that they're not good enough for the Primera, and that is no slight on them because there are a bunch of teams, some of whom are established Primera sides, who are not good enough for the Primera this season. As That's a result of... Exactly, and Atletico de Rafaela and so on. As a result of, partly, uh, the ridiculous expansion that the Primera has happened. We don't blame Cruzeiro del Norte for that expansion. Um, that was the first point. The second point is, even our lower league expert doesn't appear to rate them very much. So, thank you for backing me up there, Gustavo. But, we do always welcome any criticism of Hand the Pod, particularly when it's hopefully relatively good natured um, so please tweet it in and we will read it out as we hope we've just proved this is a, a democracy in spite of my often uh, joking comments about it being a dictatorship uh, Leo Rosomano asks how on earth does Lady Gago 
He's nicking the NFL opponent. Todos nickname there. Start for Argentina. Is there nobody better? His form for Boca has been atrocious. He improved a bit towards the start of the year. But it has to be said, he started for Argentina in the World Cup, initially at least, um, after a very poor season for Boca as well. We said then that it was because he was the best at getting the ball in the Argentine midfield and just giving it to Lionel Messi. And presumably that remains why he's starting for Argentina, right? I mean, first, we don't actually know whether he's going to be starting for Argentina in the Copa America, because we've only seen Gerardo Martino in a few friendlies so far. Um, and guys, what do you think? Let's say that Biglia is not sure for Copa America. He's injured, and of course, yeah, he's that, training separately. And that makes Igago perhaps I won't say if uh, a, a player that will be for sure there, but he he will be necessary in case, and much more if Biglia isn't isn't in Chile. But. Uh, but also remembering that up to the to the World Cup, there the 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 idea in the Selección Nacional was not to rock the boat and not to try new options. So if Gago was there, even in spite of his of his uh, form, he would have stayed there. And now um, you never know. Now now, for example, you'll see you'll probably see over the next year uh, chances given to different players in that same position. You'll probably see Craneviter uh, at some point in the selection as well. You never know. Or sometimes even I, I agreed with Mariano, who is, of course, a, a famous uh, San Lorenzo supporter, uh, claiming for for Mercier for his Which is just Sorry to interrupt, but Mariano's yes. not a famous San Lorenzo supporter, but he's a well-known San Lorenzo supporter to hand upon this. Yes. <laughs> because San Lorenzo do have some actually famous supporters, as it happens, but carry on. Okay. Uh, uh, claiming for for Mercier to have a spot in the in the national team, and now he's not playing very very good. Uh, but if uh, if not, I will also say Mercier deserves a, a place there, uh, as well as for example, could be Kane At 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 that point, it could have been either Biglia, it could have been Banega. You had some options, but no no none that you thought was were as capable of, uh, of uh, generating um, gameplay as, as we thought Gago could. Yes, but as he said, uh, Gago with Messi plays differently. He's like, uh, he, he has something to give for national team, perhaps more than Boca, that right now uh, isn't uh, in, their be- in his best performances. This is the thing, isn't it? I mean, for Boca, okay, he's been playing pretty poorly he, he got sent off um, fairly recently for well you could say it was unfortunate or you could say it was a professional foul on the halfway line so either way but you know um, he, he's not been playing at the top of his game but ultimately for Boca his job is to get the ball in midfield and give it to Andres Kubas to then just run it out for a goal kick or to try and pass it in for Daniel Osvaldo to attempt to hold it up and then fail to play anybody in because he's not on the top of his game either Whereas for Argentina, his job is to get the ball and give it to Lionel Messi, who, even when he's playing poorly, is still the best player on the pitch, almost by definition. Um, is incapable of having a genuinely bad game. So, in a way, that does mean that he's better for Argentina than Boca, doesn't it? Yes. But also, some, some of the... I, I've seen some I mean, in, of the... In the same sense, sorry to interrupt, but in the same sense as if, if I was playing for Boca Juniors in Argentina, I'd look a lot better for Argentina than I was for Boca because the person I'd be passing the ball to would be Lionel Messi. Exactly. It's strange, but in these cases, the other way around, like we always say, or, or the same players say, uh, 
I have to play well in my club to be called up for the national team. In this case, it's not a, not mm. precisely like okay, that so because you can't Gago's, play. Gago has played well for the national team yes. in the past, and therefore he continues to be called up for the national team. Also, in the in the idea, not not literally, but in the idea, some of the Boca fans and journalists confuse Gago for an enganche while he's actually an, an central midfielder. Yeah. Um, Mike O asks: Is Grandona like is Umberto Grandona? Uh, junior likely to be shit canned with the under 20s poor showing so far at the under 20 World Cup. Back home, I'm going to say no because the under 20s two matches so far at the under 20 World Cup have kicked off at one o'clock and four o'clock in the morning Argentine time because the under 20 World Cup, of course, is being played in New Zealand. Um, I've not seen either of them. One of them because I had to get the, the one o'clock kickoff, I could have watched it was on Tayo Sports as I found out about half an hour into it. I thought it was just on direct TV which I currently don't have, but will have next week, um, and thought that uh, I couldn't see it, and then when I discovered I could see it, I was going to bed anyway because I had to be up early in the next morning, so I'm moving flat. Um, the match the other night kicked off at 4am, and even I am not going to stay up for that, at least not now I'm living with my girlfriend and have to go to bed at a pretend well, to they go are, to bed at a sensible time. Those matches are repeated that, then. in a way, oh no, sure they're repeated, but I, I, I've never been... And again, we're talking me personally here. I've, I've never been able to watch repeated football, even if I haven't seen the match the first time. Um, but I think, in a way, the kickoff times have saved it, because, as you say, they're repeated, and by the time people who do watch it are watching it, they already know the score. There's not quite the same emotion yeah. going into. Since the first game, I managed to see some of it, and he was basically saved by Correa's performance on the on yeah. the first game. Now the second game has really has. Really been like poor, but the second game. Sorry, what was it? Four 0 to Ghana? No, three two. Three two. Three two. I knew that there were lots of goals in it, but, but I didn't actually see the score. Also, if if you like think it over, um, it's not like our perception of of uh, Umbertito is going to change. Well, in a way, uh, I kind of wish that Mariano was on this week because Mariano has defended Umberto Bonona mm. um, on Twitter uh, to me, saying that he's. Not as bad as people make him out to be. He's not a genius, but he's not that bad either. Did you see how they qualified for the under 20 World Cup winning the Sudamericano? And the point I made to him was I mean, largely the forwards were bailing him out there. And that appears to be what happened in the very first match, from what I read at least afterwards, uh, which was a 2 1 win. No, it wasn't it. It was 2 2 draw. 2 2 draw with two votes by Correa, I think. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, obviously it's still the group stage, they could still scrape through, you never know. But ultimately, Argentina, at under-20 level, have a very proud tradition. They've won the, youth, the World Youth Cup more times than any other nation. Yeah, but the over the last Nigeria, few years, we, we have like not done well. With Sergio Batista and Humberto Grandona as manager, so it's not surprising you're not so <laughs> well. Um, and this is part of the reason, of course, that Gerardo Martino wants to take over the youth side after this World Cup, and hopefully he's allowed to. Um, but is he likely to be shit can? No, but he's likely to find it rather harder to keep his job with Martino pressuring to take over the squad, I would say. And Sasha has another question. Is Nestor Gorosito getting the best out of Cabral, a talented player, but would surely do better in a more position-oriented team? If any of you are thinking, hang on a second, Jonathan Cabral plays for Racing, he's a centre-back, and uh, they're not managed by Nestor Gorosito. Nestor Gorosito is the manager of Argentino Juniors and he's talking about Luciano Cabral who is a young number 10 um, I would agree to be honest no me neither he's shown flashes no no I'm saying I would agree ah, uh, I think he's shown flashes of quality but I'd like to see him in a side which has a little bit more on the ball and therefore he gets a bit more time on it because with Argentinos 
They're a club I like. They're a club who've played attractive attacking football in the past, but currently it's very much going to dig it in and, and snatch the results at home more than anything, I think. If 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 uh, um, I I think so, I I think it's like that. Um, uh, uh, until you see him in another in another club uh, with with another manager, you you'll never know. Corocito has has done well to to get results in Argentina in Argentina, but uh, attention, attention, Mauricio Pellegrino has just been announced as the new manager of Independiente, according to Twitter. Um, what do we think of that, gents? Sorry to interrupt your answer, Gustavo. I, I think it was the most uh, natural candidate because he was, as I said, with no teams right now uh, as a coach. Mm. Like, for example, Almeida, uh, I don't know, Pizzi, I think he wasn't also with the, uh, another team. So Almeida wasn't, uh, was with uh, Advanfield, Guillermo Atlanus. So he was, I think, the most, uh, the, the closer coach to be there. Gustavo, what do you think? Because when I read it out just then, you gave a sigh and are now looking deeply underwhelmed by the news. Uh, I'm not in an way, independent. In a way, it's nicely circular because Gabriel Milito was supposed to be the next Independiente manager and has gone to Estudiantes, yes. and the man he replaced at Estudiantes has now gone to Independiente. So doesn't that just tie it up nicely in a nice bow? Yeah, Milito was supposed to be, to be the Independiente manager. Um... I'm, I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing it as optimistically as uh, as you do. Anyway, uh, Milito could have the taste of independiente supporters, but Pellegrino doesn't have the estudiantes like uh, play uh, mm. added uh, uh, stick to him because he was only the coach of estudiantes only one year and a half. More or less. Yeah, and a squad that was in the process of being rebuilt and all the rest of it. We have a question from, by email, sorry, from David Ellingham, um, which goes as like this. Sorry, as this. I'm forgetting English. Uh, Hello, Sam. Whilst watching San Riento this weekend, very quickly going to look up the San Riento results to remind myself. Thank you. Nil-nil draw against Argentinos Juniors, who we were just talking about. Um, I realised that I knew virtually nothing about the club. Can you provide any information? Where do they play, their support, some history, well-known players, etc.? We're going to look straight over at Gustavo because he's our encyclopedia of lower division football this week. Sarmiento de Junín play... Um, In Junín. Comes from Junín, from the, from the Buenos Aires province. Uh, they have had some, uh, some Primera División history a long while ago. And... Uh, they play at the Eva Peron Stadium in, in Junín. Mm. Um, they have, they have, uh, they, they, I, I think they came back to, they, they were down to Primer, to Primera B Metropolitana up to uh, 2004. And they came back to, right. to the Nacional B and they were basically for, for, for years, they were like this, one of the strong teams in the, in the Nacional B tournament up until a restructuring of, uh, of the tournament. Uh, where they came back to, to to primera division, but as we were uh, as we were talking before, it would have been one of those teams that wouldn't have come back so easily to to primera division if if it wasn't for the restructuring. Mm. Um, support? What's the support like? Um, I think I, I'm not, I'm not sure about the numbers, but they they used to they used they used to play like for a 
12 to 15,000 people uh, a week. And, and so. finally, any well-known players? Former Sarmiento players? Mar- Martin Andrizzi mm-hmm. was one of the former Boca and Arsenal uh, players. Arsenal and Banfield, so. but I cannot remember many. I'm going to have yeah. a very quick look for their Wikipedia, because they often have... Um, it's true about Letico Sarmiento, isn't it? The one I, I, I remember is him, and no one, no one else... River Plate versus Linares de Bayablanca has just kicked off, by the way. Um, we're not going to be recording until the end of that match, we hope. Uh, let's see, jugadores destacados. Elmo Bobbio. <laughs> we're going home. Ernesto Coco Pelli, uh, the highest scorer in the club, 128 goals in 298 matches between 1952 and 62. Er- Ebert Perez. Daniel Passarella, how the bloody hell can we forget him? Yeah, we've heard of him before. Uh, <laughs> um, Juan Gilberto Funes, also a well-known name, uh, for, again for River Plate, like Passarella. Ricardo Garreca, the former Vélez Southfield player and manager. Uh, Shamil Garnier. Yeah, he was in... Uh, I'm not sure he really counts. He, he was not. Shamil Garnier was, uh, uh, I think, was in Atletico Rafaela. I cannot remember. Uh, and Pinino um, Mas, Oscar Mas. Oh, and Ezequiel Cerruti, who is currently with the Estudiantes. Yes. Um, so there are some of them anyway. Uh, others from other historic players on the Wikipedia page. I'm just looking at the ones who've got their names in blue because it means they've got actual Wikipedia. Oh, Oscar Mas, as um, Pinino Mas. Uh, Gustavo just mentioned. Uh, probably the most famous. Um, David also says that, on, as we mentioned on last week's show, Cristian Gomez's um, death last weekend from a sudden cardiac arrest uh, caused the suspension of Tigre versus River and several matches in the lower divisions out of um, mourning, basically. Um, and there's been a recent BBC Five Live radio show on it, which is available on the Five Live um, webpage as a podcast. That's worldwide. Uh, iPlayer is obviously geoblocked in the UK if you're trying to watch television on it, but if you want to watch, ra- uh, listen, watch radio, listen to radio um, on it, it's not. So you can go to bbc.co.uk slash podcast slash series slash 5L specials. Thank you very much for that um, recommendation, David. To be clear, that's not a podcast on Christian Gomez um, or on his death particularly. It's a programme on sudden cardiac arrest, which some people uh, might be interested in. I'm going to listen to it. Because I suspect, as I mentioned last week, that the 60 deaths since Mark Vivian Foe is um, more to do with, or rather the, the massive supposed increase in them is more to do with increased visibility and, and knowledge of the world game than it is to do with them actually becoming more common. Um, so thanks for that, David. Um, and now, we've been recording for far longer than we were expecting to, so it's time to get on with Mystic Sam. The next music that you hear is his theme tune, so don't go away. Sam's predictions for the next weekend, the final weekend before the Copa America, are as follows. Banfield versus Sarmiento, I think is a Banfield win. Um, if I remember correctly, that's the only match on Friday. Oh no, sorry, no it's not. I'm talking out my arse. The first three matches on Friday. Gimnasia La Plata versus Unión de Santa Fe um, is going to be a draw. Argentinos Juniors versus Quilmes, I think is an Argentinos win. Those are Friday's three games. San Lorenzo versus Belgrano is 
a San Lorenzo victory. Belgrano might make it easy, but I think San Lorenzo can win it. Tempele versus Lanús is a Lanús win. Colón versus Huracán is a draw. Uh, Crucero del Norte against San Martín de San Juan I think is also a draw. Godoy Cruz versus Arsenal de Sarandí. Draw. I'm going for Ricardo Caruso Lombardi to continue being very difficult to beat. He's drawn one and one one uh, since coming into Arsenal, which given their previous record of losing something like 75 matches in a row, has to be impressive. Atletico de Rafaela versus Nueva Chicago is an Atletico de Rafaela win. Boca Juniors versus Newell's Old Boys is a draw. Another doors closed. Those doors match. Yes, it's behind closed doors again. Uh, Boca have installed um, uh, acrylic uh, see-through panels behind the tunnel, um, the tunnel, the famous one, um, that the uh, security uh, body in Capital Federal has not yet got around to giving them the OK, which means the Boca have to play another match behind closed doors. Rosario Central versus Independiente, I've forgotten to write out the headline for, and it's going to be a Central win. Olimpo versus River Plate is... Does anybody know how many goals Olimpo have scored in 14 matches so far? Five. River Plate have scored 26, I think. Um, and so basically, it's, it's the division's worst attack by a very, very long way against the division's best attack by a bit. Um, I think it's going to be a River Plate win. Racing versus Bellis Southfield. Um, River has the best goal difference, except uh, San Lorenzo has the best and River has the second best. I think. Yes, yeah, that's right. Uh, Racing versus Bellis Southfield has to be a Racing win. Uh, Racing lost the very first match of the season, of course, at home, and have not lost since, and have won six games in a row, I think it is, at home since then, in the league. Defensa Justicia versus Estudiantes de la Plata is an Estudiantes de la Plata win. Tigre versus Aldo Civi is a Tigre win. But I'm not very sure about that because that should be a very, very interesting game. Tigre very good in defence, Aldo Civi pretty good going forward. And I think that that's the penultimate match of the weekend. So on Monday evening it could be an interesting one. Uh, does anybody have any particularly strong arguments against any of those? I would go for a Lanús Temple draw. Okay. I would pay for it and uh, I'm not sure about uh, Rosario Central and Independiente as well. I would I would go I would go for draw in that one as well. And Tigre the C we could could be draw but yes as you said it's difficult it's not a, a It's never easy to pick these but yes. this weekend particularly, I mean I wouldn't say it's been the hardest weekend to try and predict, but there are some matches that several matches that I'm quite looking forward to seeing. And in reply to the people who say that we're always against Crucero del Norte, I would say that one of those matches is Crucero del Norte against San Martín. Because San Martín are clearly the better team. They've got 10 points more than Crucero del Norte. But that pitch is such a leveller that whilst I do think it detracts somewhat from Crucero's claims to being able to play football, um, it's going to be very interesting to see whether San Martín can adapt to it well, given that they're on a pretty good run of form. Um, it, it, it's a, a good test for people. Uh, Central against Independiente should be interesting as well. Yes. See how Central managed to react to that first defeat of the season away to River um, and numerous other sides. But for now, ladies and gents, we're going to say goodbye. Uh, I'm going to try and get this edited either tonight, right now, or very quickly tomorrow because, as we say, I'm moving house. This is the final podcast being recorded in my Palermo shoebox. 
uh, I'm moving to a slightly larger flat in Almagro, and hopefully we'll be recording from there next week. I've just received an email from my girlfriend saying that the internet is going to be installed a week today, so we might be able to record there next next week. More likely it'll be somebody else's flat. Um, for now, then, it's an emotional goodbye to the Barrio of Palermo for the foreseeable future from Hand the Pod, um, and also a goodbye and thank you very much to listening. Um, from Gustavo. Goodbye. Goodbye from Andres. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye from our sponsors, the Argentina Independent, who provide English language news, current affairs, entertainment, and other things from Argentina and across Latin America. Uh, you can read them for free, of, for free of charge, free of charge, or for free, whichever you prefer, um, at argentinaindependent.com. You can follow them on Twitter at argentinaindy. Uh, thank you very much to them, as ever, for providing the booze, and goodbye from me. Goodbye.